number 13. Luke 13, and we'll begin in verse 6, and we'll read down through verse number 9. We'll begin reading together in verse 7, and read verse 7 and 9 together. I'll read 6 and 8 by myself, as we'll be reading responsively. Luke 13, verse 6, the Bible says, He spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Together, 7. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. Verse 9. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. We're going to look at uh, this sermon title this morning, When a Tree Won't Bear Fruit. When a Tree Won't Bear Fruit. Let's pray. Lord, guide my thoughts and my words, and I pray that you guide the ears of those that are here today. Many people came in the door today carrying many things that would distract them during this time of preaching. Spirit of God, would you move in those that are saved? Help them to walk away with what you have for them. And then, Spirit of God, those that are lost, would you knock on their heart's door? Help them not to leave here today until they've put their faith and trust in you. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for the cross. We're thankful that you died for us. But, Lord, we're eternally grateful that you didn't stay dead. We have a Jesus that's no longer on the tree or in the grave. But he's risen, he's defeated death, and he sits in heaven. And he's there to intercede on our behalf, Lord. So help us today to be motivated by that. And Lord, to go forth and bear fruit accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, Luke 13, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Can you hold your place there and turn over to Mark chapter number 11? Mark chapter number 11. And let's look at verse number 12. And we're going to read down through verse number 21. Now, the... um, uh, the background here is Jesus has come to uh, Bethany and he has risen Lazarus from the dead and he is leaving Bethany uh, and he is getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. In fact, he would enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey uh, or a colt shortly after this event. But look at verse number 12 and we'll read down through verse 21 and we're going to tie both of these passages, Luke 13 And Mark 11 into the sermon today, it says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, again, where he raised Lazarus from the dead, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might, find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of the tree hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And when they came to Jerusalem, uh, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the table, uh, tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written, my, uh, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy it. 
for they feared him because all the people uh, uh, was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. Verse 20, and in the morning as they passed by and saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And so Jesus uh, walked past a fig tree, sought fruit off the fig tree. There was no fruit, so he cursed the tree. He went into um, uh, he went into Jerusalem. Uh, uh, he walked into the temple. He saw the money changers. He turned over their tables. He ran them out. And then on his way out of town the next morning, they walked past the same fig tree he had cursed the day before. And sure enough, it had very quickly withered up. And uh, and gone away. Now, many people believe from this story that Christ threw a temper tantrum in the temple by throwing out the money changers. Now, I want to challenge that that thought process today. I remember I was sitting in a barber shop some years ago and uh, waiting to get my hair cut. And the man who was cutting hair was a Christian, went to a, a sister church in the area. And I enjoyed getting my hair cut there because I could go talk about the Lord in a clean environment. But the guy in the chair was not a Christian. And so he began to challenge the barber. And he didn't know I was a, a pastor, but he began to challenge the barber. And he said, oh, the Bible's full of hypocrisy. He said, uh, we're told not to be angry, but Jesus sure lost his temper. And the barber said, well, when did he lose his temper? He said, we lost his temper when he ran the guys out of the, out of the um, uh, temple with a whip. Um, I challenged that thought. Where in this passage does it say Jesus was angry? You can find this story in other uh, books of the New Testament, other Gospels. Nowhere does it say Jesus was angry. Um, Jesus was angry, according to Scripture, one time. And he did nothing with the anger. He looked out and he saw the hardness of their hearts, the Bible says. He was going to heal a man on the Sabbath day. He saw the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts and the Bible says he was angry. Then he healed the man and he did not do anything with his anger. So, uh, some, some thoughts here about how methodical Jesus was with this. And I'm going to tie it into Luke 13 in the, in the message here in a moment. The first thing I wrote down in my introduction is that Jesus had been in and out of the temple prior to this. So he knew the money changers were there. When Jesus walked in the temple to throw them out, it was cold and calculated and planned. He knew they were there. He had been, uh, he's now three years into his ministry. The money changers had been in the temple for, for decades, if not centuries prior to this. Jesus in and out of the temple saw the money changers before. And so it's not like he walked in and said, what? Oh, I can't believe this. No, no, no. He knew they were there. And so, um, uh, uh, he, he knew they were there. The second thing I put down here is nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was angry during this event. I've already talked about that. Three, his cursing of the fig tree fits the narrative of the story. Now, that fig tree represented the nation of Israel. Um, Joe, can you turn these fans off for me? That would be great. Thank you very much. Um, everyone's looking up the fans. All right, everybody look at the fans. Everybody look back at me. Okay. Very good. Take all that. All right, get that put away here. Um, the cursing of the fig tree fits the narrative of him throwing uh, the men out of the temple. What happened? All right, Jesus walks up to the fig tree. The fig tree is representative of Israel. I'm going to show you that again in Luke 13 here in a moment. But as representative of Israel, he walks up to the fig tree to get fruit, and there is no fruit. Now, there's a lot of leaves, 
It looks like a good tree, but there's no fruit on the tree. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. In essence, he's cursing the nation of Israel and cutting them off for the time being from God's future plans. Again, the church steps in that place. God's putting Israel on the back burner and he's using Jesus right here to do that. Then he walks into the temple and he overthrows the common thing. Then what does he do when he walks out of the temple? He's he's standing there and they say and he says to them, he says, "You tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in how many days?" Three days. Now, he was talking about the temple of his body, but he he was also predicting that that temple there would be destroyed. And we know from history that indeed it was. He walks back out of town and the fig tree, which has given off no fruit after a whole lot of time and patience, is withered away. Everybody with me here? The turning over of the money changers was just a symbolic part that fits the narrative of the fig tree being cursed on the way into town and it being withered up on the way out of town. Go back with me over to Luke chapter 13. And a a very interesting parable here. Jesus says that a certain man had a, a fig tree. He walks into the garden to get fruit off the fig tree and there is no fruit. And he says this, he says, For three years I have come looking for figs off this tree, and it has yielded no fruit. And he tells the dresser of the garden, or the farmhand, he tells he tells the, the farmhand, cut the tree down. And what does the farmhand say? The farmhand says, give me one more year. Give me one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me dung it or fertilize it. And if it still hasn't given off any fruit, then you can chop it down. What a bizarre Story. What a weird parable. Until you understand what this parable means. All right. This is really, really neat. Yesterday, I sat on the couch with my son and I told my son what I'm about to tell you in his eyes. His 10 year old eyes got about this big. All right. So I don't want to oversell this, but this is really neat. The farmer in this story is God the father. The dresser of the garden or the farmhand is God the Son. Notice he said he had come three years looking for fruit. What were those three years representative of? They're representative of three years of the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, God the Father says to God the Son, there is no fruit on this tree. Why? Because Israel had rejected Jesus as the leader for three years. He says, chop the tree down. And Jesus looks back at God and he says, let me dig around it and let me put deadness, fertilizer, dung around it. Now, what did that symbolize? Jesus was going to go to the cross and he was going to become the fertilizer around the fig tree of Israel. Give me one more year. What would happen in the next year? Well, Pentecost would happen. He was saying, God, don't give up on Israel yet. Let me go to the cross and die. Let me fertilize this tree, this fig tree. And if in a year there isn't any fruit being put off by your people, then I will myself, I will chop the tree down. And sure enough, Jesus went to the cross. He died. He became the fertilizer at the base of the tree. And he, the, he, he, would, send, he would send the disciples out after He ascended to heaven. And they would preach at Pentecost. And 3,000 would be saved. And a little bit later, 5,000 would be saved. And the church in, in Jerusalem would grow. Historians tell us in excess of 100,000 
people. Now, eventually this tree would be chopped down or would be set to the side so that God could use the church era. But he was giving the Jews a chance to be a part of that church era. So, I I like to make sure I give context to a passage and not... Take it out of context and, and twist it and, and Americanize the Bible in such a way or put it, bring it to us in such a way that we don't do due diligence with the history of the passage. Is everybody understanding what Luke 13, 6 through 9 meant? That's the interpretation. Now let me give you some applications to the Christian today. What do you do to a tree that will not produce fruit? I asked my son that yesterday and he took a moment and he thought and you know what he said to me? He said, you chop it down. How many of you agree with that assessment? If fruit tree won't produce fruit, you chop it down. Now, participate this morning. How many agree with that assessment? If a fruit tree won't produce fruit, and it's in a garden or it's in a vineyard, it needs to go. How many of you agree with that? How many of you don't agree with that? You don't chop it down? Well, Jesus said to chop it down. He said, get rid of it. In fact, John 15, he said, take, take that tree and throw it in the fire. Well, this morning, we're going to look and see exactly what to do to that tree. Now, I want to say this morning, by way of introduction, that Jesus, uh, as God, expected His chosen people, uh, the Old Testament Jew, to produce fruit. Likewise, don't miss this, He expects the New Testament church to produce fruit. The New Testament Christian. He has taken His attention for the time being off of Israel. He's put it on me and you, the Christians in the church. And He says, just like I expected the Israelites to produce fruit, I expect the New Testament Christian to produce fruit. I propose that God created you anew in Christ to do His work. When we do His work, and He does His work through us, we are pleasing the husbandman. We are pleasing God the Father. Many Christians are good at looking like a productive tree without actually producing a thing. You look the part. You know how to talk the part. But you're not really putting off any fruit for the Lord. Um, There are many Christians who die at a young age because God knows that they will never, ever produce any fruit for the kingdom. God allows their body to be wrecked by their sinful choices so that they can be made whole again in heaven. We're going to look at that this morning in this passage. Our husbandman, God the Father, checks our tree, our fruit tree, regularly. Let me ask you a quick question, Christian. Is he finding the fruit of the Spirit? Is he finding the fruit of soul winning? Are we positively impacting the world around us for the cause of Christ? Now, in this series of sermons of protecting the sprout, we have talked about abiding in Christ. We've talked about purging. We've talked about pruning. We've talked about cleaning. We've talked about all the things you need to do to produce for the Lord. And God comes in and He works to purge around your tree. And He looks to prune your tree. And He works to clean your tree. And He works and He works and He works. And some Christians are just never, ever, ever going to give off fruit for the Savior. And God says... I come into my vineyard 
and I come up to my orchard and I'm looking at the tree and I'm going to give you some time to put off fruit. But eventually, if all you're going to do is fight me at every turn, you leave me with no choice. We're going to look at that this morning. I don't want the sermon this morning to be a threat, but I do want it to be a wake-up call to a whole bunch of people in the room this morning. Our churches across this country are filled with people who are really good at looking like a Christian, but putting off no fruit like a Christian ought to put off. And God says, I expect more out of you than that. I want fruit from you. I came and I saved you, and I saved you not just to sit on a pew and put your hands in your pocket and shake your head up and down when the preacher preaches and, and look the part on Sunday but not behave the part on Monday. I saved you, according to Ephesians 2, unto good works. Unto good works. Are you giving off those good works? Let's look at four thoughts this morning as we consider this topic, when a tree won't produce fruit. We're going to fly through point one. We're going to look at some verses, make very few comments, and get right into point two. Number one, notice this, the conditions of fruit bearing. The conditions of fruit bearing. Let me just say quickly here, I use, I preach out of a Thompson Chain reference Bible. And I love my Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's a King James Version. On the side, you will find, and this is for those maybe looking for a Bible to help them study better, you don't get a lot of opinion in here. What you get is a whole lot of work in cross-references. And so, uh, in the back of my Bible, uh, there is about, I don't know, 100, 200 pages of cross-references. And so, oftentimes, when I'm studying for a message, I will look at the passage I want to preach, and then I will go to the back, and I will cross, uh, do a lot of cross-reference work. In the back of my Thompson Chain Reference Bible, I'm going to give you what's there. Now, uh, point one came right out of my Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I want to make sure I give credit where it's due here. Uh, but, uh, but this was so good, I just couldn't pass up on it. The conditions of fruit bearing. If you're going to bear fruit for the Savior, there are some prerequisites, there are some conditions that you must hold to. Letter A notice, contact with living water. Contact with living water. Let's turn over to Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 3. For the sake of time, when I get there, I'm going to start reading. If you don't think you can keep up, then I would just encourage you to uh, just to sit up and listen. Okay? Psalm 1-3 says this, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, Shall prosper. Now, what is that contact with living water? That is a walk with God. Jesus said, I am the living water. John 4, he is the living water. Letter B, letter B, spiritual receptivity. Spiritual receptivity. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 23. We're going to be back in Luke 13 in a minute, so don't lose your place there. Matthew 13 and verse number 23. The Bible says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, who also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some in hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Different Christians bear different amounts of fruit. That's not what's important. What's important is that you are willing to receive God's word. You're willing to receive the seeds of God's word into your heart and the seeds that God has intended. The conditions of fruit bearing. Letter C, notice death of the old life. Turn over to John chapter 12 and verse 24. John would be the fourth um, uh, gospel in the New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament. John 12:24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, 
it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You must die to self. There are old habits that need to go if you're going to produce for the Lord. You're going to be that fruit-bearing Christian. You cannot try to have it both ways. I told someone this week, we looked at um, Matthew chapter 6, where it says, No man can serve two masters. And at the end it says, You cannot serve God in money or God in mammon. And I looked at uh, the people I was talking to and I said, This is the number one sin in most Baptist churches, including probably ours is we are trying to prove this verse wrong. We are trying to make God our master and money our master at the same time. You can't do that. The Bible says they're diametrically opposed. There's nothing wrong with money. There is something wrong with the love of money. Love of money is your master, then God is not your master. In fact, your actions show that you hate God if money is your master. And too many people are trying to do both. Listen, death of the old life. You've gotten, you've gotten saved. Uh, you, you want to be a fruit-bearing Christian? Then there must be death of the old life. Uh, notice letter D. Chastening or pruning. Chasing, chastening or pruning. Turn over to John chapter 15 and verse number 2. Conditions of fruit-bearing. We have, um, John fifteen two says, Every branch in me uh, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So, uh, there needs to be that chastening. What is pruning or purging? That's God chastening you. I'm a parent and I've got two children. And when I see something in their life that I think will develop into a bad habit, that will limit them in life, you know what I do? I get my parental pruners out and I get to work. I work to shape that child to be who I think, me and his mother think, that he or she ought to be. God, I, and by the way, I don't chasten or prune the tree of my child's life out of hatred. I do it out of love. And God's the same way. God comes into your life and He sees a habit that's there. He sees a behavior that's there. And He says, that's got to go. And you say, but I like that habit. And God says, but it's keeping you from being who I want you to be. So He takes out the pruners. And depending on how big, how big the habit is, the pruners can get really big. And He comes in and whoom! He tries to chop that branch off if we'll let Him. He chastens us. Whom the Lord loveth, Hebrews tells us, He chasteneth, even as a father the Son in whom he delights. Uh, the last condition to fruit bearing is letter E, abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Look down at John 15, verse number 5. It says there, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. It is a total reliance and dependence on Jesus Christ to do an eternal work through us. What are the conditions of fruit bearing? When I pause, uh, or rather when you get to the, the uh, word filled in on the back of your blank, say it out loud with me. Ready? Letter A, contact with living water. Let me hear you. Ready? Contact with living water. Letter B, spiritual receptivity. Letter C, death of the old life. Letter D, Chastening or pruning, letter E, abiding in Christ. So if we're going to produce fruit, we need to have that checklist in front of us. Do I have that contact with the living water on a daily basis? Am I walking with God? Am I receptive to God's Word? Uh, uh, Am I dying to the old life? Am I allowing God's chastening or pruning in my life? And is there a constant abiding in Christ? Number one, the conditions of fruit bearing. Number two, notice the complaint of the farmer. The complaint of the farmer. Go back to Luke chapter number 13 with me. Luke 13 
And we see here the complaint of the farmer. Now, point two is going to be the thrust of the sermon today. It's where I'm going to spend most of the time. Then we'll, we'll get through points three and four quickly. So uh, look at Luke chapter 13. Look at me at verse number six. He says, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Complaint number one that God the father or the farmer had was form, but no fruit. Form, but no fruit. Look back with me at uh, verse number six. A certain man had a fig tree planted in, the far, uh, in, in his uh, vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, but and found none. All right, Christian, you've been saved for two years, three years, five years, ten years, some of you twenty years, some of you thirty years. The, the gardener, the farmer, comes looking for fruit on your tree. Does he find fruit? Are you vengeful toward people who are nasty toward you? Or can you forgive and show love? Um, uh, are you temperate in your spirit or do you fly off the handle? I don't fly off the handle. Really? Really? Has God been developing the spirit of meekness in your heart and life? Do you know that God doesn't just call women to meekness but all Christians to it? The Bible says about the wife, the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman, that she is a meek and quiet spirit. But God does not just call women to a meek spirit. He calls all of us to a spirit of meekness. Have you noticed that the Holy Spirit of God does not boss you around? Have you noticed that? He doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't jerk you around by the ear or by the arm and yank, you, yank your heart out of joint. No, the Spirit of God is there prodding and pushing. He's that constant push of this needs to stop, this needs to change. You know why? Because He's meek. Meekness is power under control. Power under control. Uh, I heard a woman say, Ah, oh, God calls uh, us women to a meek and quiet spirit, and I can't help myself. I just tell it like it is. I don't think any Christian ought to have a tell it like it is attitude. Uh, we're commanded to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. That means you have a backbone, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. That meekness. You've been saved 20, 30 years. You've been saved 5 years. But there's not any meekness on your tree. You have the form, but not the fruit. Turn, over to, uh, uh, turn back over to Mark chapter number 11. Look at verse number 12. And on the morrow, the Bible says, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. The time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of this tree uh, hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. It had the leaves, but it didn't have the fruit. Boy, it looked good from a distance. But there wasn't any substance that mattered. And when it came time for Jesus to have his hungry belly filled, he walked up to a tree that was, looked like it was supposed to have fruit, 
and it wasn't there. Jesus is hungry for Christians to behave a certain way. He walks up to the tree of your heart. Is he disappointed? Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy 3. Look at verse number 1. Let's let the Word of God preach to us this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now we looked at a passage similar to this last week out of Romans 1. Uh, but ask yourself if we're not living in this day. Okay, look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Check. Covetous. Yep, that one's there. Boasters. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You ever watch children at Chick-fil-A in the play place? You ever seen kids in the grocery store? Or at McDonald's? Disobedient to parents. Do we have a problem with that in America? I think all of these so far we check out on. And it isn't just some children, it's most children. Unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. You know how many people hate what we're doing right now? Hate this. Want to shut us down. Verse 4, traitors, heavy, heady rather. That means they they have a lot of head knowledge, but... Their heart is far from God. High-minded, that's stuck up. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The population of Stratford is about 55,000. What percentage of those people do you think are being, are enjoying some sort of pleasure right now versus those that are loving God in church this morning? Now, this isn't in my notes, but I'll, I'm going to put this in right here. I can tell you who you love. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here this morning. But I can tell you what you worship based on what you do with your Sunday morning. You go to church on Sunday morning, God is your God. You go out and you boat on Sunday morning, your boat is your God. You sleep on Sunday morning, sleep is your God. You work on Sunday morning, your job or money is your God. The Bible says we're to take Sunday. It teaches that Sunday is supposed to be the day that we honor the Lord. Look at verse number 5. This one maybe hits us a little more between the eyes than the other ones do. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, from such avoid, from such have no communion with. These are people that look like a fruit tree, but when you get down into it, there's no fruit there. There's no fruit there. Complaint number one, the farmer walks up to the tree in Luke 13, he says, you look like a fig tree, but you're not really giving me any figs. Complaint number two, patience, but no productivity. Turn over to verse number seven. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, or the farmhand, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbers it the ground? I'm not naturally a patient person. The Lord's had to do a work in my heart to make me more patient. And I believe that He is doing that work. 
And I believe that I'm more patient today than I otherwise would be without the Lord's help. But I still struggle with patience. Um, I spend a lot of time on my knees praying for America. I hope you do too. I watch what happens with these mass shootings and it just crushes me. I see um, police officers being shot in Cleveland. Thankfully, none of them are killed. I see the carnage in El Paso and in Dayton. And I think back to my childhood, to Columbine. I think of September 11th and I think of all the other, the Orlando shooting that happened back in 2016 in the, in the nightclub. By the way, I don't care what someone's sexual orientation is. Their life is valuable. They don't deserve to die like that. I look at the millions of babies that are killed every year at the hands of an abortion doctor. And you know what I take away from this? God is patient. God is patient. I don't know how much further we can push God without Him just raining down His wrath. But I can say this, God is far more patient than I would be. Far more patient than I would be. You know, Christian, God is not just patient with our country. And He's not just patient with our church. He's patient with you and He's patient with me. The day that the Lord saved you, He expected you to become rooted in Christ. He expected that in your season, that you would bring forth fruit with patience, Luke 8. But nonetheless, that you would bring forth fruit. Let me tell you what most Christians are concerned about. We're concerned about living godly enough to keep our conscience soothed, our spouse happy, the pastor happy. Wait a minute. I'm not going to stand in front of Angela one day in heaven and give an account for my life. And I'm not going to stand in front of some board, some church board. And I'm not going to stand in front of some pastor I've had in my past. I'm going to stand in front of God. And I'm going to give an account to God about the fruit that I bore with my life. And I just want to remind you, Christian, that day is coming. The clock is ticking down where you will die or you will be raptured. And one day you will stand in the presence of God and you will give an account to the King of kings and Lord of lords for the fruit that you bore on your tree in your life. Was the Spirit of God in control? Was He calling the shots? Was He loving others through you? Was there that joy and that peace and that righteousness and that goodness and that meekness and that faith and that temperance and that meekness? Or was there lust and selfishness and cruelty and strife and envy and covetousness and pleasure that's being birthed on your tree? One day you're going to stand in front of God and you may be able to fool everybody else. But God's going to see right through that facade and He's going to look right at you. I don't even know that God will need to say much because we'll just drop our head and we'll know. We'll know. Christian, it isn't just your responsibility to be sweet and kind and joyous and loving and righteous. 
It's your, it's your chore. It's your responsibility. Let me word it this way. It's your privilege to get to reproduce yourself as a Christian in someone who is lost. That's through a gospel godly testimony. Are you producing fruit for the Savior? Now, God is patient. God is very patient. Don't take advantage of that patience. You know, nothing drives me more nuts than watching a patient mom and dad have their child just run all over them. I talked about Chick-fil-A Play Place a few minutes ago. Some of you don't have kids or grandkids, so you don't know what that's like. But let me tell you, every Chick-fil-A that you go to, and I think they're getting ready to build one in Shelton. Praise God, all right? I'm so happy about that. Um, I'm probably going to be poorer than I am now because that's going up, all right? Um, but, um, but every Chick-fil-A uh, that isn't in a mall has a large play place, and kids love to go there because they love to play. You can learn a lot about a parenting style based on when it's time to go, what happens. You see mom and dad sit there, and they say, all right, Junior, it's time to go. Down the slide they go, and you know what? Kids are supposed to go down the slide, not up the slide. How many in agreement with that? I see parents teach their kids to go up the slide. I say, that parent's a rebel. Kids are supposed to go down the slide, not up the slide. And I've seen lots of kids get hurt by going up the slide. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track here. And you see a mom and dad say to their child, all right, time to go. And the child ignores them. And back up they go. And then the parent says, all right, Junior, get your shoes on. It's time to go. And what you end up seeing is about 20 times later, the mom and dad is grabbing that child and he's screaming and he's crying and he's kicking and, and, and you just about think, my goodness, they're going to have to, you know, put this kid in a straitjacket to get him out of here. Do you know that sometimes that's how the Lord feels with you? He has a way He wants you to live and you just ignore the Lord. You go to church and you hear the preaching, you open your Bible and you read, and God says, this needs to change. Twenty years later, God's still saying, hey, I'm still on you, this needs to change. And you're kicking and screaming and you're just doing your own thing. And God says, one day you're going to stand in front of me and give an account. You take, uh, take advantage of my patience, there won't be any patience that day. You will be bare exposed, all things will be laid open, Hebrews 4, verse 13 tells us. All things will lay open and exposed of who you really are. Don't take advantage of God's patience. This farmer comes to the tree and he says, form but no fruit. Patience but no productivity. Complaint three, environment but no effort. Environment but no effort. Listen, it wasn't that there wasn't um, the right environment for this tree. Good night, it was in the middle of a vineyard that was producing other fruit. But this victory was being stubborn and just wouldn't put off the fruit. Look back at verse number 7. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on the fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Notice there, the dresser of the vineyard. The dresser of his vineyard. There was a man assigned to having a full-time job to getting this tree to produce fruit. And it would not produce fruit. There was a man who gave his life effort every day to go out and prune and clean and purge and weed around and make sure that tree was fertilized and the pH balance was just right and the roots had uh, plenty of room to grow and it was watered the way it needed to be and, and that, uh, uh, that all of the things that tree needed would be given so that when harvest time came, figs 
would be on that fruit tree. By the way, the only figs I eat are fig newtons. Can I get an amen? I don't like figs. How many of you here like figs? All right. Get me some fig newtons and I'll be happy. Are there fig, are there figs in fig newtons? If there's 1%, it counts. Amen? But there's no figs on this tree. Why? It had all the things it needed, but that tree really wasn't putting out the effort. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 with me. Ephesians chapter 2. I promised you that I'd spend most of the message on point 2. We get through points 3 and 4 quickly. I'm going to hold to that. Look at Ephesians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 8. My notes should say 8 through 10, not 8 through 9. That's okay. We're going to read down through verse 10. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are we saved? We're saved by the work of Christ, mixed, intermingled with our faith. His work plus our faith equals salvation. That's how you get to heaven. It's not your works. It's His work. Now, let me be very clear on this. It does take work for you to be saved, just not yours. It takes His work. His work plus your faith equals salvation. You put your faith in His work, God takes away your sins, He gives you home in heaven. Now, uh, a lot of Christians will read Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and say, well, then I'm in the clear. God does all the work. No, 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 no. That's how you get saved. But after you're saved, God creates you anew for work. Look at verse 10. For we are His... Read that next word out loud together with me. Ready? Workmanship. Again, ready? Workmanship. The next word together. Ready? Created. Created in Christ Jesus. Next three words. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has given you the environment to produce fruit for the Savior. In 2019... With all of the freedoms that we have. With this Bible in mass print. Not only can you hold it in your hand. You can, where to go? You can download it onto your phone. On my phone right here. My Bible app was open. I don't know if you can see this. That's my Bible folder. I've got like seven different Bible apps on my phone. Some in Spanish. Some meant for cross-reference. What's your excuse, Christian? Why aren't you producing fruit for the Savior? Are you, are you filled with having the right form and impressing others? God sees right through that. Are you taking advantage of His patience? By the way, next to form but no fruit, you can write the, you can write the word fake. Fake. If you have the form but not the fruit, you are a fake. Okay. Next to patience, uh, productivity, uh, patience but no productivity, you can write the word procrastination. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I don't have one for environment but no effort, but you get the idea. You just won't change. You just won't change. Um, you could maybe write the word pride down next to environment but no effort. I know pride doesn't start with an E, but it's all good. Write it down anyway, pride. You know, I see a lot of you, you come in and you you go out and there's really very little spiritual growth in your life. Can I tell you this? That drives me nuts as a pastor. It's my job to care for your soul. 
if you call me pastor or shepherd, it's my job to lead you. And, 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 and again, he is the shepherd. I'm just the under-shepherd. But I've been assigned the duty of seeing you grow spiritually. And when there's very little evidence in your life, you know what oftentimes I go to the Lord and God just says to me, they're filled with pride. you got to give them over to me and let me break them down. Some of you, you have been given all of the environment. You're given a church where the preaching could honestly be better. And pray for me, I'm growing as a preacher, but I preach the Word of God. Every point I give you is chuck filled with Scripture. And where I fall short as a preacher, you have a Bible that can speak to your heart. And week after week you come and you sit and there's a gardener who's caring for the soil of your heart, who's encouraging you and prodding you. You have the Word of God in mass print. You're pushed to read it and study it, but yet, yet there's no fruit. And the farmer comes to your, or to your tree. God the Father comes to your tree on a regular basis and says, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Hey, that situation you were put in last week at work where you were slandered against, how come you didn't love? Hey, uh, you walk around measly mouth and complaining. Where's your joy? I'm looking for the fruit. Where's your joy? Hey, you're walking around with a heart filled with anxiety and fear. Where's your peace? Hey, you're walking around wondering how things are going to work out and your heart's filled with doubt. Hey, I'm the farmer. I'm coming to your tree. Where's the faith? Where's the meekness? Where's the temperance? Where's the goodness? And the farmer comes looking and he says, I've given you years of the right environment to develop. And my complaint is, through all this, my patience and my effort that I've put forth to give you the environment, you have become really good at looking like a fruit tree. There's no fruit. Number one, we see the conditions of fruit bearing. Number two, we see the complaint of the farmer. Number three, the compassion of the farmhand. The compassion of the farmhand. Look back at Luke 13 and look with me at verse number 8. It says there, And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. Letter A, notice his plea with the farmer. His plea with the farmer. Turn over with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter uh, number 4. Everybody likes to go to church and hear the pastor give an encouraging sermon. And a you can make it another week sermon. And I preach my share of those. But sometimes you need to come to church and have the pastor step on your toes a little bit. And today's one of those sermons. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. By the way, I'm stepping on your toes a little bit this morning. Maybe the Lord stepped all over my toes this week preparing this. Okay? So I got it too. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now again, the farmhand, uh, the, the farmhand or the farmer here, he is 
he is representative of Jesus, the Son of God. First uh, Timothy two five. If I'm going off the top of my head here, I believe it says that he is our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And who is the one who goes to a God who's just, God the Father who's just, who says, "Chop down the tree." They're not giving me the fruit that I'm looking for. Who's the one that goes to God on our behalf and intercedes? What's well, God the Son? Now, I've been sharing this on Wednesday night, so if you're here on Wednesday night, this will be repetitive or review for you. But to everyone else, this would be great for you to hear. Jesus Christ came the first time to the earth to be uh, the prophet. He, he will come the second time to the earth during the millennial reign to be the king. Uh, 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 right now, he is in heaven. Someone tell me where Jesus is in heaven right now. Where is he sitting? Right hand of the Father. What's He doing sitting at the right hand of the Father? He is being our priest. You know what a priest does? He faces God with His back to the people and He represents the people to God. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's sitting there while you're in all your nonsense saying, Give Him a little more time. Just give Him a little more time. And aren't you glad He does? Aren't you glad we have a God who is a God of second chances? And because of that, we get to walk into the throne room of grace. And we get to say, here I am, and I am a mess! Forgive me, Father. And Jesus looks at God and says, for my sake, will you forgive him? And God says, for your sake, I'll forgive him. The plea of the farmer. His plea with the farmer, rather. Let her be noticed, his patience with the fruit tree. His patience with the fruit tree. Luke 13, verse 8, again, reminds us that the, the dresser of the garden, in answering, and he answering, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, that I shall dig about it and dung it. Let her see, notice, his promise to the farmer. His promise to the farmer. What was his promise? His promise is that I'm going to work on this tree myself for just a little bit longer. And if we can't get this tree where it's producing fruit, then I myself... We'll chop it down. How many believe that a Christian can run up God's patience and God just takes them on home to heaven? Now, be careful about jumping to that conclusion with anybody. You see someone die who's young, don't say, well, God killed him. Don't you ever let those words come out of your mouth. Don't even let them go through your heart. But can I tell you categorically, it happens. Oh, it happens. I'm going to finish making this point with the last point of the message today. Notice number four, the condemnation of the fruitless. The condemnation of the fruitless. Turn over to John chapter 15 in verse number two. I love to finish my Sunday morning sermons on a... On a positive note, I don't think that's going to happen today because I don't think that's what God wants me to do today. But I think what I'm going to finish my sermon the way the Lord has instructed me to, and I think for some of you here today, it will be encouraging. It will, rather, the Lord will use it in your life in an encouraging way. Look at John 15, verse 2. Now, remember in this passage, Jesus is the vine or the source of nutrients, and we, Christians, are the branches. Right? So, every, verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, 
that it may bring forth more fruit. What's the promise here? If you don't produce fruit, you're going to be taken out of the vineyard. Now, if you're saved here, that doesn't mean God's going to send you to hell. But it does mean that He's going to take you on home to heaven. Look at, down at verse number 6. If a man abide not in me, this is speaking of someone who just refuses to, to abide in Christ. He is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, what does that mean? That, that sounds hard. Cast into the fire? Does this mean that if you're saved, you can go to hell? That's not what this means. That's not what this means. This is talking about the destruction of the branch. And the branch is a picture of your life. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to finish the message here. And I'm going to, make, uh, I'm going to show you a biblical example where the branch or the tree is condemned and chopped down. Oh, the church of Corinth. If you want to see a hot mess in the Bible, read the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, there's nothing that the church of Corinth is praised for in the entire book. 2 Corinthians, there's some things they're praised for. 1 Corinthians, nothing. They were a carnal, hot mess. Paul started this church, he got them up and going, and he left. Corinth was a, a, a port town, and there were a lot of port-type influences on that church, and they went the way of carnality and the way of apostate doctrine real fast. And uh, reports are coming in to Paul, and the book of uh, Corinthians is just basically four or five, I can't remember off the top of my head, four or five different lectures about how you're doing it wrong. Well, on top of all the things they had going wrong, one of the things they had going wrong is that there was all sorts of weird sexuality problems in the church. I mean weird stuff. And uh, there, was, uh, there, there was a temple in town where uh, it was to a false god, and the priests in that temple were male and female prostitutes. And people would go there and sleep with a prostitute, and then show up at Corinth Baptist Church and act like everything was great. There are all sorts of weird problems. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. There was a man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law. That's disgusting. Now, I would say this is a tree that really isn't putting off any fruit. How many of you would agree with me on that? Sure, you're really not putting off any fruit. This is a man who's just putting off, if he's putting off fruit, it's the fruits of the flesh, not the fruits of the Spirit. Look at verse 2. And ye, all of you, are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that, uh, he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Hey, you all are shaking this guy's hand here in handshake time. You're having him in your house to eat. You're letting him be a member in your church. And you're just acting like this is no big deal. Verse 3. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him uh, that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, look here, this is the cursing of the tree, this is the withering of the branch, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such in one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day 
of the Lord Jesus. You know what he's saying here? This man's doing this evil deed. He is saved. It's not that he's going to lose his salvation, but we're going to take his flesh and we're going to deliver him over to Satan so that the actions that he's doing will destroy his flesh and put him in the grave so that his spirit can be saved in heaven. Here's what I want you to hear this morning, alright? And again, I'm not threatening anybody this morning, but I just want to lay it bare for you to understand this vital truth. One day, uh, if you're saved, you're going to stand in the presence of God. And you're going to have a new body. And you're going to have a new mind. And you're going to have a new heart. And sin is going to be completely taken away from you. And you and God will have perfect fellowship with each other. Do you remember when God created Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden? Remember what they had? You know why Jesus died on the cross? So He could get you back to where Adam was. Back to where Eve was. Sin keeps that relationship from God. Now, God, I believe, here's, here's my strong opinion. I believe I've laid out a biblical case for this today. God looks ahead in time. And He sees the life of a Christian. And He sees that there will be no fruit coming out of that person's life. And he'll send some sickness their way, or he'll send some tragedy their way, or he'll turn them over to their sinful lusts that will put them in the grave. Not out of hatred. God doesn't chop off the branch out of hatred and anger. He cuts the branch off from the vine so that the spirit can be saved in heaven. And that person can be healed from their sin. There are other people who just go through life and they put off mediocre fruit. Or there will be one season in their life down the road in the future where they're putting off fruit. But there really isn't much going on. Now, Christian, I don't mean to stand in front of you today and try to scare you into thinking God's going to strike you dead. As I stated earlier, God is a patient God. He gives you time and space to figure these things out. I know this. I sure don't want to disappoint my Savior. He went and He died on the cross for me to save my soul. And He looks at me and He says, I died for you. Now you go live for me. On a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times in a week, I walk down to Booth Park. Park right down the road here. I walk around the park and I pray. Probably everyone sitting in the room today, if I know your name, I've probably prayed for you at some point while in that park. One of the things I love to do when I walk around that park is to stand where those three crosses are. Look up there at that cross. And picture my Savior dying on the cross for me. Boy, there have been so many times where I was discouraged or weary in my work for the Lord here at this church as a pastor. Where I have stood at that cross and I have been renewed again. And God said to me in my spirit, if I can suffer on your behalf, then you can serve on my behalf. If I can die to save your soul, then you can bear fruit for my kingdom. Oh, I don't serve the Lord because I'm afraid God's going to destroy me. I don't walk a straight line or attempt to walk a straight line because I'm afraid of a lightning bolt flying out of heaven and zapping me dead. Oh no, I serve the Lord because He loves me. 
Christian, are you tired of being phony? You're tired of looking the part of putting off fruit, but, you know, you have the form, no fruit. He's been patient, you're not being productive. The environment's there for you, but you're not putting forth the effort. Stop being a tree that won't produce fruit. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, work in the heart of your people. Help us have an honest reckoning with ourselves of where we are. Lord, for somebody this morning, this sermon can be spiritually transformational. But only if we'll lay down our pride look in the spiritual mirror and be honest with ourselves. Lord, we're procrastinators. And we talk about how we'll produce fruit for the kingdom at a later date. Lord, the day is evil. We're told in Your Word to redeem the time. Lord, may we not take advantage of Your patience. May we get serious about the work you have for us in our hearts and lives. May we serve because you've suffered. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open.